0: This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for April 9th, 2018. Every year, the government borrows more money, spends more money and gets us all deeper into debt. And every year, economists say we must do something about that sometime soon. And every year, politicians agree. But are they right? In this podcast, one commentator who thinks the deficit doesn't matter. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic. What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. On a Skype line now, I have Bill Scherr. He is a contributing editor at Politico Magazine. He's also a contributor to Real Clear Politics and presenter of the New Books in Politics podcast. Um, Bill, a short while back, you wrote an article about politics in the US that said, deficits don't matter, so why are Democrats complaining about them? Are you really sure that deficits don't matter?
1: well i'm not uh i'm not an economist uh i, I don't want to say definitively uh that I, I know that you can run up deficits uh to infinity and not have any kind of negative economic consequence mm-hmm. uh, but we have seen we've been running annual deficits you mm-hmm. know the the budget deficit you know every year if you Spend more than you take, and you have an annual deficit. Yeah, we should uh, we should
0: ex- we should explain that. There's the debt and the deficit, and they sound a little bit alike. And basically, if you earn eighty thousand dollars a year and you spend a hundred thousand dollars a year, then you have a deficit of twenty thousand dollars a year. You're getting deeper into debt by twenty thousand dollars a year. Every year, if you do that for 10 years, then you will probably have, not counting interest and so forth, you'll probably have a debt of $200,000. So the debt is the cumulative deficit, give or take. So what did right. Obama do to
1: the deficit and the debt? Well, you know, America has had debt uh practically forever (laughs) uh and 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 we can handle that just like many families have a mortgage and or have student loans Mm -hmm. uh you can you can go a long time with holding a mortgage Mm -hmm. so long as you make your payments uh you're not in dire straits because you have a mortgage for the the vast majority of one's lifetime Mm -hmm. uh so uh as long as america can pay its debt when when someone wants their bond back, and you don't you you don't jeopardize the full faith credit of the United States. You you don't have a problem, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Now there is there are arguments that you can still carry too much debt because if you are uh you have a need to print more money to take care of your day to day operations, you're going to spark runaway inflation. That's that's mm-hmm. the general fear of having too much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now. So if I can go back you know before Obama uh you know Ronald Reagan racked up a lot of deficits but the economy was moving at a good clip and nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Uh, then inflation started to tick up uh by the end of his presidency uh and began to uh uh, Concerned, the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the United States. Uh, they raised their interest rates to try to keep inflation in check, try to reduce the money supply. Uh, and Reagan's successor, George H.W. Bush, uh, felt the negative impact of an economic recession. Yeah, uh, And he decided, you know, th- th- that they had to arrest the deficit in some way so the Federal Reserve would back off. And so he cuts the deal with the Democrats. He raises taxes, which violates a campaign pledge, angers the right wing of of America. Uh, But they do uh, put a lid on the deficit and the Federal Reserve does back off. It doesn't save George H.W. Bush, but the the recession does uh, taper, uh, just not fast enough to help him politically. And Bill Clinton uh, comes in. Yeah, we should Uh,
0: should say maybe give a couple of historical examples here, because unlike – uh you or mean with a mortgage or a student loan, you can't print extra money in order to pay back your debt. But the US government can do that if they if they owe somebody a uh, billion dollars or even a trillion dollars, they can just go and print those dollars and pay back the debt with that. Right. But there's a limitation to that. And people uh, historically in Weimar, Germany, um leading up to the time the Nazis took over, and more recently in Zimbabwe, we saw a trillion dollar note, a Zimbabwe trillion dollar note that wouldn't even pay a bus fare in mm-hmm. Zimbabwe, because they just printed so much money. You had... A fixed amount of goods and services in the economy, and way more money chasing that, so mm. the prices just went up and up and up, and that could happen in the u s, hopefully not to the same scale.
1: Mm-mm. well, well, let's see if we get there, but let me I just want to keep tracing this sort of the historical path here. So after that bush reagan um episode, it became common to believe you had to keep your deficits in ch- in check. So interest rates don't get out of hand and spark recessions. Mm -hmm. Uh, It didn't help George H.W. Bush politically, uh, but it did work macroeconomically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Bill Clinton comes in. Bill Clinton uh, does a better job on the deficit. He actually gets to the point where they were projecting budget surpluses by the end of his presidency. Yeah, yeah. so Uh, instead
0: of your debt going up year by year, it actually goes down.
1: Yeah, you have to get into actual surplus territory for it to actually start eating into the debt. I don't know if he quite got there, but he got to the point at the end where they were projecting surpluses. Uh, Republicans at the time said, you're raising taxes. That's going to destroy the economy. But well, that wasn't true. He raised taxes. Debt went d- – the deficit went down. The economy was very healthy. So that, and that, that, that further argued, OK, being fiscally responsible was good over the long term. George W. Bush comes in. Uh, Dick Cheney counsels uh, the treasury secretary who – treasury secretary at the time wanted to uh, not have a big tax cut for deficit concerns. Cheney says Reagan proved deficits don't matter. Mm -hmm. Now he's speaking politically (laughs) Uh, and it's true. Reagan ran up a lot of deficits and did very well politically and the economy was good on his watch. Uh, And so George W. Bush follows that advice. Two big tax cuts, fighting wars, deficits balloon. Clinton's projected surplus completely dissipates Mm -hmm. uh, and he gets reelected. But by the end of his two terms, the economy totally bottoms out. It's not the fault of the tax cut. It's because of other things involving uh, Wall Street. Uh,
0: Pause on that, Bill. Pause on that. Because, sure, uh, towards the end of George W. Bush's Reign, shall we say, towards the end of his presidency, the economy absolutely tanked. And one of the reasons was because it is suggested, let me suggest, that George W. Bush, unlike his father, ran deficits to hell in uh, using, uh, following Dick Cheney's advice. There was a huge amount of money in the economy and that money uh, typically, well, obviously belonged to rich people and they wanted somewhere to invest and the places for that money to be invested were getting fewer and fewer because there was so much money chasing fewer and fewer places for that money to be invested. And they ended up being invested in, invested in, I'm putting in air quotes here, in mm-hmm. things like subprime mortgages. So mm-hmm. anybody with a heartbeat could get a, a mortgage. And uh, when everybody realized that those loans couldn't be repaid, the, the economy crashed.
1: Well, I wouldn't put it on the deficits, because if, if it was primarily about that, then Obama, who followed George W. Bush, would have had to slash deficits to get out of the mess. Mm-hmm. Obama does the opposite. I mean, so the concern about deficits generally speaking is if you get into an economic jam, you get into a recession, you would ideally like to be keynesian about it. And the keynesian mm-hmm. approach is seemingly counterintuitive. You 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 throw money into the economy. You you cut taxes and you raise spending to juice the economy, be stimulative get out of the economic morass, and then once you're back on track, then you can worry about being fiscally responsible. That's right, that's
0: called expenses. counter-cyclical spending. So essentially right. the idea is that when all the people in the country are feeling rich, the economy is going well, then the government should soak up some of that money and don't let inflation go uh, get very high. Right. They should save the money for the bad times, and then when you have bad economic times, people aren't spending money, then the government should spend that money that it had taken in in the good times and balance out the the cycles in the economy.
1: Now, now George W. Bush does the opposite. He runs mm-hmm. up the deficit during good times, relatively speaking. So you don't have that in reserve once uh, the calamity comes. Obama, nevertheless, so it, 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 that usually presents a political problem to Deficit spending. Yeah. uh, And you do have to worry about, again, the Federal Reserve and interest rates. So when George H.W. Bush Faced a recession, he did not. He was not Keynesian. Mm -hmm. He raises taxes, he cuts the deficit, gets the Federal Reserve to lower rates, and that's what gets the economy out of of the jam. Yeah, Uh, it's it's,
0: it's, Bill. It's it's kind of uh, perhaps uh, useful to note that half of that Keynesian cycle, ramping up spending in the bad times, that's quite easy politically to do. But the other half of the Keynesian cycle, taxing a bit more heavily in the good times, that's much a that's a much harder sell.
1: Yes. Now, but Obama, he goes, you know, super Keynesian. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest stimulus package of all time Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as like a single concentrated shot. It is much bigger than anything FDR did. And he does it right out of the gate. It's the first thing he does as president. He gets it done within a month uh, and he puts a floor on the economic freefall. And then the economy is in a position where it can, you know, gradually dig out. Uh, of that hole. And in doing so, he uh, not only explodes the annual deficit, the debt Mm -hmm. is enormous. So the Mm -hmm. GDP to debt ratio ends up by the end of his presidency at 100 percent. Essentially, the the size of the debt, the size of the accumulated debt is equivalent, even a little bit higher than the size of the economy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in Obama's first term, Republicans are waiving this uh red flag. We are going to we're gonna become Greece. You know, Greece has been in, in this terrible economic situation because they ran out of big debt. They cannot print their own money. <laughs> so they were not able to solve their problems by by doing so. They needed to get bailed out by by, by the EU. Mm-hmm. But the, the the fear in Obama's first term from the right was this is too much debt. You are going past the point that America can sustain uh uh carrying that kind of debt load. Uh, and, and it th- wasn't exactly an unreasonable
0: thing that they were saying. So um, Obama was the 44th president. 43 presidents put together, that's to say from George Washington all the way up to George W. Bush, had essentially all of them put together, borrowed more or less the same amount of money that Obama borrowed, uh, borrowed on his
1: own. Am I right on that? Well, uh- Technically, but it's it's a bit of a historically distorted talking way. You know, John Kerry said the same thing about George W. Bush yes. accurately. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, well uh, that, that's that's being a little bit disingenuous because, of course, you're saying a $1 dollar in 1785 right. or whatever was worth the same as uh, a dollar right. uh, last
1: year, which, of course, isn't true. But what, nevertheless, what it true it's a staggering amount of debt. What is true about Obama is the GDP to debt ratio was historically high. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. believe it had hit 100 percent before. Him, even under FD, – FDR had a very large one during World War II, mm-hmm. uh, but I believe Obama's was higher. Uh, so you could understand thinking you know, that's a point or no return. But we've been at that level. We've been above 100 percent GDP to debt ratio for several years now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you may, I mean, I can't predict the future. May, maybe there's a point where being at that level is just too much. But we've been there and we're – and America's economy is doing all right. Interest, you know, interest rates are starting to tick up. They but they were very low throughout the entirety of the Obama presidency. Uh, I mean the, the, the reason why you worry about interest rates being too low is that you're going to spark inflation because you're putting too much – it's easy to borrow more money into the system. Everyone has got so much money. Then prices start to tick up. That wasn't happening. In the Obama presidency, for the entirety of the eight years, it was very low inflation. People complained that wages weren't rising, but inflation wasn't rising either. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at some point, the Fed was going to have to start inching the rates up, which they're doing now. So I don't think you can say that's because of the GDP to debt ratio. It's because you can't have low interest rates forever. At some point, you have to kind of revert to the mean. Uh, So so here we are, running deficits, Mm -hmm. high GDP to debt ratio. GDP growth is good and interest interest are coming up but not dramatically so they're trying to in a very careful gradual way. Mm-hmm. So here you have you're in the Trump presidency. Trump he was complaining about debt in during his uh uh his presidential run although somewhat um uh, compli- in a complicated way because he was all saying I'm the king of debt and we're going to I'm going to put big money in infrastructure so he was kind of talking about both yeah, sides we're not debt.
0: expecting too much consistency from Donald right, Trump
1: right right um, but he gets in the office they do nothing to cut spending they they do a big tax cut uh, everyone who says they want they care about the deficit on the Republican side have shown themselves to be hypocrites but the economy is still okay so far <laughs> Okay, can, can, I, uh, okay. Bill, can yeah. I
0: put the put the countervailing point of view to you Yeah, yeah. Because you've mentioned Greece. Greece is a small country, about 9 million people. They use the euro, the common European currency, and they can't print it in the way that the US can just print as many dollars as they want. Greece doesn't get to print as many euros as they want. So if they want to pay back their debt, they only have a fixed amount of euros. They actually have to collect that money in taxes in order to pay it back. Greece's debt, and Greece got into very, very serious problems. A couple of other European countries had similar problems, but probably not quite as serious. But the problem that they had was their debt was getting so high that just paying the interest on that was not something that was affordable for them to do. And if you get into a position, you as a person, or or indeed as a country, if you get into a position whereby paying the interest on your current debt you have to borrow money today to pay interest on your debt then you're in a spiral that's going to be very difficult to get out of and that doesn't apply to the US for one particular reason the US is a little bit exceptional on this and you can find the answer to that uh, where I was a couple of years ago in Cambodia And in Cambodia, they technically have their own currency, but nobody really bothers using it other than for for very minor transactions because it's not a stable currency. Everybody uses dollars. And there are hundreds of millions, quite possibly billions of dollars, in Cambodia in circulation. And that is a free loan to the United States. The United States doesn't have to pay any interest on those dollars which are basically a debt instrument that Cambodians are using. And that happens in quite a few countries around the world, that they actually use dollars either as their primary currency or as a secondary currency. But if you look at international trade, particularly in oil, it's all done in dollars There are hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, probably trillions of dollars being held by people who have no connection to the United States because they use that for trade. And that essentially means that the U.S. gets a free loan of all of that money. They can print that money and not have it cause inflation. And that is a break On the inflationary effect of printing money, but it's not a permanent break. And it is possible for the US to print too much money. So while they might not hit that problem of spiraling interest rates, having to borrow money to pay your, to pay the interest on your debt, they may not hit that quite as soon as Greece would hit it, but there's no guarantee that they would never hit it.
1: Well, I mean, this is, this is the, uh, a bit of a conundrum for Democrats in the U.S. Now, mm-hmm. is there a point where there is actually too much debt, and if you, if that if that explodes on your watch, you're in trouble, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore they should run on saying these Republicans are being uh, fiscally responsible. Uh, and we're, you put us back in office and we'll, we'll, we'll be grownups and we're going to, we're going to cut some, you know, we, we're Democrats. We like to, we like more spending, but we got to, we see the writing on the wall. We're not going to be able to do that right now. Maybe we got to jack up taxes. Maybe we got to cut spending. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, or should they say, as Dick Cheney said, look, politically deficits don't matter. (laughs) Reagan did fine with deficits. Obama did fine with deficits. Uh, why should, why should we box ourselves in? Why shouldn't maybe we should run on giving things to the public that they want? Uh, actually, following through on investing in infrastructure, investing in universal preschool, uh, making healthcare subsidies more robust for the working class. Why should why should we be the ones who uh, who uh, have to clamp down when we don't even know it's actually necessary? It, mm-hmm. it, you just you just can't know the future here. We've already passed some boundaries that we thought we couldn't cross and we have so I get I get your argument that it's not that it's not a bad argument it's just that no one can know for absolute sure uh, so you, but, what hold you are on, seeing, hold on Bill hold on Bill uh,
0: isn't your argument then essentially that it's not a problem until it's a problem
1: well, well certainly at, at minimum yes uh, so uh, but, but, but well, let, me have... counter, let, let me give
0: you the counter let me give you the counter argument to that Bill because when it is a problem Loss of faith in a currency is a catastrophic problem. The saying is, you know, no society is more than two missed meals away from anarchy. When you have a currency collapsing, That means that almost everybody who previously had a stake in the stability of the society has lost that stake. It's no surprise that, uh, of course, in Zimbabwe, the collapse of the currency was a precursor of the fall of Mugabe. And indeed that the, in the other famous example in Weimar, Germany in the 19, um, late 1920s, early 1930s, the people of the country turned to the Nazis. So traumatic was the effect of the currency collapse. Aren't the fiscal conservatives really right to say, not only is this not a problem that we don't want to have, this is a problem that we need to not even come close to having, because if you even get if you're teetering on the edge, the, the cost of that collapse is so traumatic for a society.
1: Well, that assumes that there there's a day, there's like a literal day of point of no return when everything falls apart and you can't dig out of it yeah and it's um, happening
0: now in venezuela
1: well but uh, there are there are plenty of things that they could have done in the run-up <laughs> there, there are plenty of warning signs that they could have you know, done and, and and had gradual measures to but, but walk each, away from the each, break
0: each of those heeding each subsequent warning is more
1: difficult than the previous one we, we've been we are 10 years after Obama's stimulus package and we Mm -hmm. are several years into being 100 percent gdp ratio 100 uh gdp debt ratio Mm -hmm. um so i i i don't think it is an enormous risk to uh to uh see how far you can go uh all evidence of the past 100 years it's not a risk if you find out how far you can go then your society has collapsed as long as America maintains its full faith and credit, if we if we had an unforced error, like yeah, to say like not, to say not, that, not that means debt the debt promise
0: that you will pay back that money eventually.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, America has this quirky thing called the debt ceiling, where uh, Congress has to pass a law. That raises the level of how much debt it's allowed to carry. Mm-hmm. It's not something the Treasury Department can do on its own, and it's always a bit of a political dance because it, it it looks bad to say you're raising the debt ceiling, even though all you're doing is saying we're gonna pay back the debts we've already incurred. Um, and every so while, uh, under normal circumstances, with a normal president and a normal Congress, you'd say, I, I know America's never going to do that. With this Congress and this president, you can't be so sure. So if we had an unforced error, like not raising the debt ceiling, mm-hmm. which would mean that there'd be a debt payment that America could not, would not pay legally, that would be a a very, very catastrophic problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, uh, barring that, uh, it is more likely that we can simply gradually, um, you know, know, we just had a big tax cut, Mm -hmm. that can be inched back up, you know, obviously raising taxes is politically hard, but it has been, done. George Bush did it, Bill Clinton did it. Barack Obama did it. It is possible to raise taxes. Uh, so it's it, and so this is so this is an argument for Democrats. Um, do you want to say I'm going to clamp down on the deficit in order to win over some fiscally conservative voters? Because that that has some surface appeal to say that, mm-hmm. uh, without saying how you're going to do it. If mm-hmm. you're not going to build the mandate. Because they, they, Democrats are not going to want to do some massive cut in spending, uh, but they would feel like there's some slack in the tax code now, since we just had this big tax cut. Um, do you want to inch, inch that back up? Uh, you know, they are very uh, quick to say they want to raise taxes on the wealthy. That's sort of, that's the easy thing. The harder thing is say, I'm going to raise taxes on the middle class or the, the upper middle class, even. Okay.
0: Uh, one last question on that then, Bill. Uh, one last question. and. It's uh, you're obviously on the you know you write for Politico.com um, and also Real Clear Politics. You're obviously on the political left in the United States. Yes. Um, isn't it the case that whether it is with environmental problems or financial problems, the United States political system is uniquely badly adapted to deal with low-probability, high-consequences problems. That's to say a problem that probably won't happen, but will be catastrophic if it does.
1: I don't that's unique to America? Uh, I mean, there is an interesting uh, parallel between climate politics and, and budget politics mm-hmm. in that uh, whatever possible catastrophes might occur are not happening no. Uh, right in your face. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, you could say, you know, the global ice caps are melting, or we're having more extreme weather and that that kind of stuff. But tying it to climate is still something that people uh, resist. Uh, and and for most people people, um, you know, if so long as the hurricane hasn't drowned your house, uh, you can survive extreme weather events. You can survive the global ice caps melting. It doesn't really affect your your day to day. And so, you have folks on the left will say. People on the right are being irresponsible for not being proactive on climate. And people on the right will say the left's not being responsible for being proactive uh, on the budget. But I think that that's a human nature problem, not just an American problem. I mean, uh, 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 America and China are the main drivers uh, and, t- and coming up as India are the main drivers of putting uh, – uh, Pollutants into the air. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for other countries to take proactive steps because the economic risks involved for them aren't as steep as they are for America, China, India. It's, it's typical to wait until you can't wait no longer. Climate is certainly one where you don't have the luxury of waiting to that point. I think budget, it's more murky <laughs> how, how long you is you, you, you can wait, and that's why you, there's a debate over how long you can you push things. Bill Sherr, contributor for
0: political.com, also for real clear politics, and presenter of the New Books and Politics podcast. Thank you very much for talking to me. Great to talk to you. Never miss a show. You can subscribe to the podcast for free using iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or any other podcast software or app. See challengingopinions.com backslash subscribe for details. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on April 9th, 2018. I've got a link to Bill's articles and other information about government debt in the show notes on the website. And if you know someone else who I should interview, or you have a suggestion about what I should cover, then please get in touch. You can like the show on Facebook, on Twitter you can follow the show at Challenging O and follow Bill Share at Bill Share. but most importantly subscribe to the show. You can get it on Google Play, Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app or software and there's links and an RSS feed for all of that on the website. And if you don't use a podcast app or software, you can subscribe by email. Just enter your email address on the Changing Opinions website, and each time a new show goes online, you'll get an email with a link to listen, and no spam. You can find all of that, or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. Coming up next Monday, that's April 16th, I'll be talking to Ellen Brodsky. She's a blogger and researcher who specialises in monitoring Fox News. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.